Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor and Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. Let's go to Memorial and Arnie, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hey, I appreciate you, appreciate you taking my call. My pleasure. I have a little puzzle. We have a condo that uh, that we rent out, and we uh, years and years ago, we replaced the tile and did a real nice job, and the floor stays moist. I mean, not wet, but moist, so you slip on it. So it's, we feel it's really dangerous. We've taken people out there, and they've looked at it. They haven't been able to figure out anything. They say that it's not the water coming. Uh, it's not... They, they don't think there's water underneath, but I would think if there's a crack in the slab that you'd feel, uh, that, I mean, the, the tile would come loose, and it doesn't. It's solid, like it's been there forever. Right. Anyway, so where, where, what area is the the uh, condo in? Where is it? Yeah. It's, uh, uh, I, let's see, where, 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 Mission, Mission, Mission Band area. Okay. South of Houston. Okay. And, uh, Based on what you just said, it's on the first floor. Yes. Well, it's a two-story. It's a. It's a more of a townhouse than a condo. The two-story, okay. and it, yes, it is on the bottom floor. That's problem is. And and you're only having the issue on the bottom floor, right? Right. Exactly. Okay. And the neighbor doesn't have the issue. That's interesting too. Okay. How's the air in the unit? Uh, does it feel a little clammy, or or it's, or do you feel nice and dry? No, I'm not really sure. It's, I, you know, it's, I, I don't know. It seems fine. We replaced the air unit since then, so I don't know. I, I think it's fine. But I don't know. Well, the reason but I'm this asking in the is time too. This happens in the winter time too. Okay, go ahead. Well, the, the AC system is a big dehumidifier, and sometimes okay. when you get the, the, the too big of an air conditioning unit in there, it doesn't stay on long enough to properly dehumidify. And, okay. and you'll start getting these sweating floors. And, and the reason it happens is the the soil underneath stays a constant temperature. Well, that temperature does transfer through the concrete. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the air inside, when it hits the, the uh, tile, you know, with that temperature differential, it'll tend to sweat. Okay. All right. And, and so, that's what it seems to be doing, too. Yeah. So the first thing I would probably check is my air conditioning system to make sure it's sized properly and cycling properly. Okay. All right. Uh, beyond that, then we would be looking at uh, other things that could cause it. But uh, almost always, and when I say almost, probably 95% of the time, that's what it's going to be, is that the AC system is either too big or isn't cycling on long enough to dehumidify properly okay as a test can i put a dehumidifier in there absolutely uh, I, I, I can go rent one or something like that or buy one and put one in there and see if it fixes it yeah you can also just get a uh, little humidistat that'd be cheaper uh-huh. than a than a uh, dehumidifier and measure the humidity the- level okay and I just go, where do I find one of those humidistats? Oh, even even some of the box stores have them nowadays. Okay. All right. And basically, you know, if you're getting down in the 45 to 55% range, 
mm-hmm. you should be okay. Uh, okay. Uh, if you're up in the, say, 65 or higher, mm-hmm. something something needs to be done with the AC system. That's good information there. I appreciate it. Okay. Okay. I'll Arnie, let me world. know what you find out on that. I will. I Take appreciate care. you very much. David, how can I help you? How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Um, I got a house that's uh, 49 years old uh, and, you know, settling and all of that. I got stairs that are really squeaky when they come up and down. Is there, uh, can, can you give me any hint on how to minimize that, uh, the squeaking? Okay, so say it again. You got what squeaking? Steps. The oh. stairs coming downstairs. Uh, are they are they carpeted or or is it a is it a wood surface that wood. you're seeing? Wood. So, you know, the, the way that you would have to do it is to reattach them. You know, add screws or or something mm-hmm. to to them. And what you may want to look at is they have what's called a breakaway head type screw. Mm-hmm. And you can screw that in, uh, and then once it gets tight in there, the head itself breaks off. So all you've got is the literally the size of the screw itself showing. And uh, oh, nice! You, I, if I'm not mistaken, they make those like in brass as well. And okay. so you could use those and actually put them in a pattern that makes it decorative on the wood steps. Oh, okay, but they're caulking or glue or nothing it's just having to reattach them you, you can't get to the places that the caulking and, and that would do any good okay all right well then i guess i got my project Okey-doke. thanks a lot you bet take care dan this is jim how can i help you oh hi thanks for taking the call um i've got an old log cabin that has a plywood subfloor that's rotted out on, on it and um it sits uh the it's it's uh sits on concrete not concrete a, a stone wall surround and then uh-huh. the joists are sitting on top of that and they're treated two by sixes at any rate the whole thing is surrounded by an apron of concrete it was joined into a sort of a carport and walkway area anyway obviously moisture has gotten in and and uh, rotted the subfloor which is about a foot off the ground. And um, so I'm looking at thinking, well, would it be better this time not to put in plywood since it rots and maybe just fill it in with concrete? Or And if, if so, how do I, you know, put a moisture barrier on that? And, Is there uh, any ventilation underneath there? No, it's a small cabin, and so it's, yeah. it's uh, rock all the way around. Yeah, and that that's that's why the humidity levels went so high and, and rotted it. How how old is it? The cabin about yeah. 150 years old. Oh, well, plywood <laughs> plywood isn't that old though. <laughs> oh no no, I, uh, the plywood is. Uh, I put that flooring in about uh, oh maybe 10 years ago. Okay, and then put some um, you know uh, uh, wood type flooring on top of that. Dan, let me put you on hold, and I'm going to come right back to you here with more sure. Texas Home Improvement. When we left, I was talking with Dan. And, Dan, where, where is this uh, cabin at? What part of the country? Uh, it's south of Katy, 
Okay. So you're you're in a fairly humid area. You're getting a lot of humidity built up underneath. Some some right. simple ventilation would take care of that um, and keep it from happening. You 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 mentioned putting in a concrete floor, and you absolutely could do that. Uh, you know, obviously, it would require taking everything out, taking the the floors out, and pouring a concrete up to whatever level you want. Uh, the perimeter having that rock on it, uh, yeah. You know, you'd have a choice of whether you wanted to just pour the concrete within that rock barrier, or try to support that cabin and remove it the the rock and I'm not looking at the building and I'm kind of imagining in my head that it could be done but it's going to be rather difficult to support yes, everything and be able to uh, pour the concrete <laughs> under it but we pick up houses and garages and stuff and do it all the time so uh, I'm thinking on a cabin you would end up supporting the bottom two or three rows of logs and the rest are sitting on top of it anyways so it definitely could be done but um if it was mine i would probably look at putting in did the uh, floor joist rot as well or just the decking no nothing in the cabin what well, the cabin is um we put it on about a little over a foot high rock wall originally right but then over time we built about a six inches worth of um uh, concrete surround with you know walkways and then a sure. carport behind it, and so that's that's the root of the problems. But the the, the so the um, the rock wall is six inches, uh, you know, below the con- top of the concrete level, and then six inches above it. So I'm just thinking as you're talking, you know, maybe I could drill some holes in the in the stone wall. That's exactly where I was headed. Mm-hmm. How how many would I need? Uh, it's about a twelve foot by twelve foot. Actually, there's two of them. It's a dog trot dog trot cabin, so there's two of these. Okay, and uh, about twelve by twelve each of them. Okay, so do a little. Well, really, you only need about uh, one square foot of ventilation. So you need six inches coming in, six inches going out. Uh, oh. And really, if you wanted to take care of it properly. Uh, you know, no bigger than these are. If we put an opening on, I wouldn't even put one opening. What I would probably do is, is go through and drill just a, uh, maybe three or four holes on, you know, on the sides that, um, mm-hmm. on three of the sides. And then on one side, I would put a fan in that is sucking the air out. So it'll draw air into those. Uh, vent holes that you drilled because they they make these nice fans that uh, can be you could cut a hole in it's a oh basically you could get away with putting like a six inch hole for the exit Mm -hmm. and hook this fan up it has a typically a humidistat and a temperature sensor on it so it kicks on when it's needed and it'll draw the air in and by having those holes in multiple areas you could get away with doing like two-inch holes in in several areas, and that yeah, would draw air all the way across and and really control the the uh, humidity underneath there nicely. 
Uh, okay, that that makes sense. And the, the plywood, it, well, re- replacing the plywood subfloor again, hopefully this would take care of it. Or is there a special type of plywood? I mean, the joists are, are treated, thank heaven. So they're, Yeah, they're, and, you know, you can actually go with the treated plywood, but uh, what are, you said you had wood floors on top of it. Were they nailed down type or, or just floating, or what was it? Yeah, they were uh, actually the, they were they're, they're wood grain uh, vinyl, you know, pieced together vinyl floors. Okay, and the reason I'm asking that, the treated plywood is not good for putting vinyl or, or any of those type of glue-down stuff on it. Uh, but if you put in a regular wood floor, uh, it, it would go down on, on treated lumber just fine. Your other choice would be to go ahead and put treated down and then put just like a quarter-inch plywood over the treated. Then you, oh, you, mean, then what, you could put your one, vinyl. One by lumber, uh, or one by or two by lumber, uh, maybe tongue and groove. On the sub for the subfloor, you could absolutely. I mean, is that what you're thinking? Uh, no, I'm thinking uh, that you could use a pl- uh, treated plywood as your subfloor, and then just put a quarter inch regular plywood over the top of it, mm-hmm. so that you could glue down onto that. Oh, I see. It's the it's the treated that causes it not to adhere to glue. Correct. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can try. I can try that. And what is this fan called? And where can I get one? Uh, it's just a, a foundation exhaust fan. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, that sounds a lot more um, efficient than than gutting everything and putting concrete in. Um, yeah, it, it is. It, it definitely would be. And, you know, those fans could actually be installed before you went back with all the new floors so you got easy access that way. We're going to Livingston. Howard, how are you today? I'm good, Jim. Well, how can I help you? We've got to replace a two-ton air conditioner in our house. And we've got questions about single speed versus two-speed or variable. And then uh, is there a maintenance issue when we go to more than one speed? Kind of explain that to us. Okay. Well, the single speed, basically the system's either on or off. Uh, You know, the, the fan is blowing at that speed. When you have a two-speed, you basically have two fan speeds. So if it needs, um, oh, let's say we're in the evening time, it's the sun's going down, it's not quite as hot, the fan speed can slow down and still maintain and keep the house comfortable. Uh, but you get uh, grandkids coming up and they're opening and closing the doors and the heat's going the the two speed can kick up into a higher speed to circulate more air quicker to cool things down and a variable speed it it just basically uh ramps up and down as needed and you know variable speed is running almost all the time but it's very low in the background so it does a really great job of keeping the air circulated in the house as far as uh maintenance it's the same I mean, uh, they actually find that the, and this is why the government is starting to insist on the uh, two-speed fans. Uh, Starting in January 1st, uh, they're trying to push it through where you won't be able to get a single-speed air conditioning system anymore. It's going to all have to be dual-speed because it helps save quite a bit on the energy bills. 
and uh, you know it, because it doesn't use as much electricity. So that's the the nice part about them, and that's quite frankly what the variable speed does as well. Uh, but you know when you're sitting in your chair and you feel the air conditioning system or the heat blowing on you real hard, when you have a variable speed, you don't really feel that unless something has happened where it's got to run at full blast, which is very rarely. So yep. that that's the dual the dual speed and the variable speed definitely cost more than a single speed system, but it does help reduce energy cost. Any uh, any maintenance problems with the with the two speed or variable speed uh, over over the single speed? We got parts going to break on us or. You know, the parts don't break any more than they do on a single speed, but I will tell you up front that uh, if you have to replace something uh, like a, a fan motor or something like that, uh, it can cost a little bit more than a single speed to replace. But in terms of lasting, let's say the fan, in terms of lasting uh, on a single speed versus two speed, it yeah, they actually. Ownership. The 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 lasting durability of them and everything uh, are actually as good and in some cases better than the single speed because they're not having okay. to have as heavy a flow of power going through them. Gotcha. You, know, you, you, you can look at it. You can look at it this way: you got an electric motor that ha, is only running at typically thirty percent capacity, so it's got seventy percent sitting there that's not being used. Uh, therefore, it's not being abused. Understand. Last question. We're getting quotes from uh, American Standard, Rude, and uh, Carrier. Any, okay. Uh, uh, what, what would you recommend of those three? Your, your quotes from American Standard and Carrier should be, uh, that's, that's your upper-end equipment. Those should be comparable. Uh Rude is on the second tier as far as air conditioning systems, so I would think that that one should be less expensive than the American Standard and Carrier system. Okay, that's, and that's I personally run. Uh, I personally have the American Standard variable speed in my house. I went with the 18 sear, and okay. I put it in. Oh, I put that one in my house about three months ago now. Uh, you can. Uh, Def, definitely, you know, take a look at that. Uh, there is a sweet spot in air conditioners right now, and 16 to 18 sear, cost-wise, is the sweet spot. When you go up to the 20 and 22 sear and stuff like that, you're spending so much more for the unit, you don't save enough in the electric bill to, to justify it. On the same token, you can buy still a 14 sear with goes away January 1st, uh, 15 sear is going to be the minimum, but your energy bill is actually high enough uh, with a 14 sear. That's the reason I say the 16 to 18 is that sweet spot. Uh, that's, that's where you get maximum savings for the money going in. All right. Very good, Jim. Thanks for your information. And then Deborah from Houston. This came in uh, yesterday right after the show. She says, before Harvey, we never had bugs. After the reconstruction, horrible contractors, I have some tiny little bugs. But 
what I mostly notice are some that look like drain flies. They don't appear to be coming from the drain, but maybe around the cracked seal around the bathroom windows. My normal exterminating service doesn't seem to be solving the problem. I don't even know where to start. Well, you know, if you're thinking drain flies, uh, I'm really questioning, and obviously I haven't looked at the place, um, a couple of, of, of things. One, since it was a total remodel, it, it could be that there is a broken pipe. It could even be in the wall. It could be the vent pipe. And that's allowing the stuff. So it could be a drain fly, but coming in a different way other than the drain. So I would probably begin with a, having a plumber out to check the drain system and check the vent systems uh, for a leak. Now, there typically has to be moisture. So it, it also could be, since you mentioned the window, that the window is leaking and getting moisture into the wall somewhere that's allowing this to happen also. So, uh, but typically if it would, would be caused by a leaking window, you would see other signs of the problem. And that's the reason I think I would start with a plumber and work my way up from there. Uh, if if it's not something where there's a broken pipe or vent pipe or anything like that, then yes, I'm going to start searching the wall. Uh, if the window is, like say, above a bathtub or something, the moisture, the water could come down and be under the tub even. So the, the, there's several things that could be happening here, but... Obviously, for those type of bugs, there's got to be moisture. And so instead of hunting where the bugs are coming from, hunt where the moisture is and you'll find the problem. Let's head to Baytown. And Ronnie, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Yes, sir. We have added some cement to fill in up where we have a shaded area. And now when we connected the three spots together, it's holding water, but I'd rather it didn't hold it. What is available to float, raise up this level a little bit on cement? Um, is there some kind of step level in cement or something we can do? There is. How how uh, thick do you need to make it, though? I would think less than about three-eighths of an inch. It's not much. Okay. Then what you're going to be looking for is an outdoor floor leveler. Okay. And they they say they're self-leveling, but you still need to float it out a little bit, uh, and then it, it'll lay flat and, and level for you. Um, you can get it at Floor and Decor. Okay. Uh, and, and, well, probably the box stores have it as well, but uh, make sure you get one that's labeled for outdoor use. Okay. So, yeah, that's probably the main thing. All right, I appreciate it. Can I have one look? look Absolutely. Question? Go ahead. We're... Some of the cement has some fine cracks in it. Does moisture go through the cracks and then cause the reinforcing bars inside of that to rust away? And if so, what can be done? When you say fine, are, are we talking like smaller than a pencil lead? Yes. Okay. Uh, y yes, over time that can happen, but we're not talking, we're talking decades, not anything 
on on a short term uh and typically the concrete itself would be looking at being replaced long before that steel went bad now when it gets to where you're looking at eighth inch cracks and things like that yeah the moisture goes in pretty quick uh and it'll it'll rust out the if you got wire mesh in there it'll rust it out in 15 years or so but uh again it's it's nothing on the short term if you decided you, you wanted to seal it up uh, you know, sometimes people are trying to put epoxy, or not epoxy, but uh, uh, caulking in there, silicone, silicone caulk and stuff. Uh, and what you need to use is a, is a concrete epoxy because it'll soak deep down into the crack. Uh, the epoxies that are used for, for doing concrete cracks like that have a viscosity that's less than water. And so it, it penetrates deep down into it and soaks out into the pores to tie everything together. But in general, you normally don't need to worry about it. Okay. I appreciate the help, sir. Thank you. You bet. Take care. Let's head to Hickory Creek. Jay, welcome to WBAP. How can I help you? Yes, sir. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. I have a, quest- I have a question for you on uh, epoxy garage floors. Um, mainly um, do-it-yourself kind of kits versus professional Obviously, there's a cost factor, but um, what's your views of durability factors? Um, we don't even know if, like, technically speaking, when you pull your car in, if you turn your wheels a lot, that's just going to wear it out pretty fast, whether it's DYI or professional. So sure. that's our question. Actually, what kills them more so than that is uh, pulling in cars with hot tires on them and the epoxy sticking to it and peeling off the floor. Uh, usually they do okay with the turns more so than they do extremely hot tires. And you're going to find that a lot of the professionals who do the f- coatings, and, and you'll, you'll hear me when I talk about uh, professional garage concepts, I always say a coating instead of epoxy, because a lot of the guys like that have actually gone to a newer product that is stronger than the epoxy and, and holds up better. Uh, to the hot tires and things like that. So um, it's still really readily available for the do-it-yourselfers, but most of the professionals are are moving up to better quality products now. Okay. So so for the do-it-yourselfers, you said that new coating is not too readily available? Uh, You know, I I haven't seen it uh, being available for do-it-yourselfers yet. Okay. All right. Very well. Now, I will tell you, we used epoxy coatings for years. And if you follow the directions for putting it in, and, and, you know, some of the big ones are you got to make sure that the the floor is totally clean. A lot of times you got to acid wash it first, things like that. You you can do as good a job as the professionals that would be putting in the epoxy coating as long as you take time for the details. Uh, what kills most do-it-yourself projects, they want to jump in and put the coating on right away. And you'll spend way more time doing the prep than you will putting the coating on. Sure. All right. Thank you. You bet. Take care. Uh, and I guess I will throw one more thing. If I was going to do it myself, I would not be going to the box stores probably to get the kit. I would probably be going to... Uh, like Sherwin-Williams or, or one of the regular paint stores to to get a kit, J- just because I like the quality better. 
that's it. Charles, how are you today? Fine, Jim. How are you? Doing great. Appreciate you taking my call. Uh, we've got a house that's had foundation problems and was raised up 10 or 12 inches, and there's tunnels under the house. Uh-huh. The foundation, everything, the house is great, doing no problem whatsoever. But I've got some kind of animals burrowing around under the house. Have you got any idea how to stop that? Well, normally you're going to end up having to trap them, uh, the animals, to get them out of there first. And well, I've set a trap out there for two weeks, and it won't go in there, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not good. What, what are you baiting them with? I've uh, tried cat food for one thing and a piece of corn Okay. on the cob. Try peanut butter. Peanut butter, all right. Yep. For some reason, all these animals love peanut butter. Uh, but uh, after you get whatever's in there out, uh, you know, obviously you got to fill in the, the gap but uh, where they're going in. You want to leave the void under the home simply because as the the soils move, you want them to be able to move up and down without moving the foundation. Yeah, yeah. But you mentioned the there's tunnels. So much, there's so much moisture under this house that the, 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 the tunnels just about have to be there. And that's what I was just going to ask you. That, are these tunnels filled in or, or were they left open? No, no, they are not filled in. I, I don't think any... I don't think they could, should be filled in because of the amount of, uh, of moisture under the house. Well, I always fill them when I do them. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and quite frankly, I've been doing tunneling under foundations longer than anybody in the industry because we started that. But, okay. Uh, uh, and I've had... Well, if, hold on, let me ask you one question. Sure. The, the whole house has been raised. So, I mean, do you fill in all under the house or not? Uh, how much is it raised? How much void is under, left inches. under? Fox with 10 inches. Eh, 10 inches, I would usually just leave that. I, I wouldn't bother filling it. Okay. And, uh, so, so animals are still crawling the two oh, yeah. spaces. That they can, the definitely. Now, what causes them to get in underneath, uh, into the tunnel areas, is because the tunnels are deeper than the beams, usually. And that, get, mm-hmm. that gives them easy access. Uh, mm-hmm. So you can put stuff in the tunnels that's made to get rid of or, or uh, repel animals, and that will help to minimize them going back in. It just doesn't become a, a comfortable place for them. Um, what is that stuff? Well, for some animals, all it is is mothballs, but other ones, you have scent stuff. You know, like you can get stuff to, to keep deer away and, and things like that. Right. Uh, some of your pest control companies will have stuff for rodents and uh, squirrels and for uh, possums, armadillos. All these different things have stuff that you can put to keep them away. Okay. I've got a company coming out here Monday to take a look at this. Okay. I hope they know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, the, the other thing that you can do, if it's in an area that you can add a little concrete and stuff, uh, you know, if you can put a sidewalk around the house, that usually uh, wards them off from going underneath as well because they, they don't want to dig that far. How about a fence around, a, a buried fence around the foundation? Have Absolutely. 
Yes, sir. And that, he does that, that. that can do it as well. Any contractor can do it, even the, the guy who did the uh, the foundation work for you. And, you know, he, he mentioned the tunnel, you know, leaving it open versus backfilling. And I have left some tunnels open. Very, very rarely will I do that. Uh, you know, typically the ones I've left open were because a house was on a fault line and we thought we'd have to be going in multiple times, uh, you know, probably every couple of years to make adjustments. Well, that's been on that fault line for the last 20 years and been doing just fine. So uh, that that didn't happen. But there is rare occasions when tunnels are left open. When you do that, you have to have a drainage system in there because it will accumulate water. And in, in order to get rid of the water, you typically, because it's going to be the low spot in the tunnel, you typically have to pump it out. So now you become dependent on a mechanical device to keep the water out of there. And so normally, and when I say normally, 99.999% of the time, I backfill my tunnels. I use the same soil that came out. Will it get packed in as as tight as it was originally? Absolutely not. But moisture does get in it. It settles and uh, it does start to pack in again, but it minimizes the moisture in the tunnel itself. Uh, so, yes, uh, there's plus and minuses on, on the two. The The big plus for leaving the tunnels is if you ever have to go back in, you don't have to redig the tunnels. But done right, you're hoping you don't have to go back in. That's the reason it has a lifetime guarantee on it to begin with. So just uh, my two cents on the the tunnel and I will tell you how the, the tunnels originally started um, the we used to tunnel porches you know so you didn't have to have a hole in the porch maybe had uh, you know brick on it or something like that and so we would give an option to tunnel the porch and uh, this was actually down in Houston back in the early 80s uh, we had a, a lady who had put in gorgeous wood floors in her home now this was a home that was built in the 50s and she had totally remodeled it in a in a real upscale area and needed interior piers and the normal way of doing interior piers were to go to jackhammer through the floor so we gave her the option for us to tunnel up underneath and that was our first tunnel for you know really into the middle part of the house and Lo and behold, it worked great. And so we started tunneling to replace sewer lines and things like that and do the foundation repair. And for many years, we didn't even give an option to go through the floor. Uh, if, if, if we were going to do the interior part of a house with piers, it was tunneled because it is totally destructive when you go inside and jackhammer through a slab to do foundation repair. It makes a huge mess in the house. And quite frankly, tunneling is expensive. But what we found was it didn't cost any more than redoing the floors, redoing the walls, and cleaning all the dust and stuff out of the house uh, and moving everything to have it out of the way for doing foundation repair. The tunneling was very competitive price-wise as compared to doing that. And so 
you know, that's that's a reason we typically recommend it. But if you're dealing with a vacant house or one that's getting ready to be remodeled or something like that, yes, we still do offer going through the slab. So, and I say we, that's due west. Because uh, a lot of people don't realize, even though I talk about it all the time, that yes, I own due west and, and that's one of the things I do every day of the week. Uh, but nonetheless, the... You know, I know there's other companies out there who do things different. I just don't have, happen to agree with them on everything. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Heading up to Allen, Texas. Hello, Brian. Yes, sir. Got a question. Okay. Uh, regarding my son, is in the he has purchased a home. Built in 1964, uh, and Beam, and neither he nor I have ever had much experience with and Beam homes. And uh, we're replacing the windows. We're going to replace the air conditioning system. My concern is about any humidity that might come up from the bottom side. Uh, I hear a lot about crawl space encapsulation. How important do you feel that is? especially since we're going to put in wood floors. What's in it for floors now? Wood, but they're in bad shape. Okay. Uh, are you going to take those out or just go over them? Probably take them out. Okay. Uh, and you said this was built in the 50s? 1964. 64. Okay. Yes, uh, uh -huh. You'll want to check one thing before you make the decision to go uh, take them out. Make sure they're not going up under the walls. Okay. Uh, now, 64 usually didn't, but in the 50s, a lot of times they did, uh, went under the walls. And it, that just creates a different problem as far as matching everything back elevation-wise. Uh, but typically... You know, a house sat there all these years and didn't have a moisture problem. So unless something has changed around the house over the years, there usually isn't a problem. You know, there are hundreds of thousands of homes that are, are crawl space homes. And I would venture to say not even 1% of them are encapsulated at this point. It, it's, the, it's the exception to the rule that needs the encapsulation. And it's usually because um, uh, water starts flowing underneath. You know, maybe the somebody raised the ground level around the house, uh, or a neighbor built and redirected water through your property. Things like that. Uh, but if it's if it's dry under the home, I would not worry about encapsulation. If it's wet under the home, then let's take a look at. What do we need to do to change it where it's not wet? And the last option then is to encapsulate. Okay. Encapsulation, I, I take it, is fairly expensive. Uh, just to buy, how big a house is it? 1,300 square feet. Yeah, just to buy the material alone, uh, not counting the installation and all that stuff, would probably be in the 5,000 range. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's considerable. Um, we'll probably move forward then because everything appears to be dry. So I appreciate your help. Now, let me just give you some quick tips. 
no insulation under there, you know, fiberglass or, or anything like that that's going to hold moisture on the wood. Uh, and don't close the vents. Leave them open because that's what keeps it dry underneath there is, is to keep it ventilated well. Okay. Okay. Um, would I need to put a fan under there, would you think, typically? or If you start it... getting any type of uh, moisture issues or anything, you can. And, and if you do end up putting a fan, make sure it's it's pulling air out from underneath. Don't blow air under the home. Uh, okay. and, and the reason for that, if you blow air under the home, it can tend to pressurize a little bit and push air up into the living space. By drawing the air out from underneath, it just draws air in through the other vents and uh, just helps to circulate the air that way. But usually, right. you know, unless you're – if it's nice and dry, don't worry about uh, a fan. If there's any moisture, then we're, then put a fan. Okay. Good advice. Calvin and Richardson, how can I help you? Uh, Jim, uh, this has a rug question. Okay. A, roughly a 12 by 21 foot long, lots of history behind it, uh, shag rug that has a pad under it. One of these days it needs to come out of here. When I take it out, what's the best way to clean the wood floor below it? Well... Typically, it'll depend on what type of padding it had. If it had the old rubber-type padding uh, or the foam padding, uh, the rubber type will sometimes tend to stick to the wood floors, and that does require a, a thorough cleaning. In fact, sometimes you even have to sand the floors. But uh, most of the time, if you just use uh, like a, a uh, lacquer thinner or paint thinner to clean the floors real good once you're not messing up the finishes but it does take all that rubber material off if it got stuck if it was a foam padding a lot of times those don't stick but it may tend to discolor the finish a little bit mm -hmm. and if that's the case you end up sanding it and refinishing so you're speaking you're telling me a, a specific uh, project other than putting a wet mop across it <laughs> uh, well it all depends on how long it's been down and and if it adhered itself to the floor okay uh thank you for this i'll give it a, I'm, I'm not sure about the pad below but i'll check it yeah you can you can pick up a corner of it and look and and see what it's going to take by doing it that way what size light bulbs are needed in canister overhead lights she has 12 of them I have a three-way 600-watt switch. Thanks so much, Liz. Well, you know, if you look inside those canisters, almost all of them, well, at, when they were made, they all did, they had what size the maximum bulb was that you can put inside of them. And for a lot of those canister lights, 100-watt is, is as big as it, it can go. Now, some of them said 150 but the thing you also have is a lot of them have a heat switch. So if you put too big a light bulb in, it heats up the canister and shuts the power off to that light. Then when it cools down, the light comes back on. Uh, if you switch from using incandescent bulbs to using uh, either compact fluorescent or the LED, you typically don't have any issues at all. Uh, because especially the LED, it heats up none. 
I mean, they, they stay cool the whole time. And they use so much less electricity that the size really won't matter. So, you know, even if it says uh, 100 or 150 watt max, you, you're putting in a uh, LED light that doesn't even use 15 watts. And so you're fine and don't have to worry about it. So it's all going to depend on what type of bulb you put in. I will tell you, though, typically if you go over 100 watts, you're going to have so bright of room, it's going to drive you nuts. So a lot of times you keep it down at a 65 to 80 watt just to keep it from being too bright. So that's the direction I would tell you to head with that. And as far as that three-way 600-watt switch, you know, the other thing you can do is you got 600 watt switches, 12 lights, how many bulbs? Just divide the uh, 600 watts by 12, and that tells you what size light. But like I said, if you go with the LED, you got nothing to worry about. You'll be well under the uh, limits of both the canister and of the uh, light fixture itself. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.